0: and pleasing and perfect. 1947 an international group of researchers all who, all of whom worked on the manhattan project set up a doomsday clock for humanity It was two years after the united states had dropped two nuclear bombs on japan And at that time they set the clock at seven minutes till midnight midnight represented the destruction of mankind the destruction of all humanity Since that time, the doomsday clock has been changed 24 times. Sometimes it moved backwards, at other times it moved forward. But in January of 2018, the clock moved to two minutes till midnight. And then in January of 2019, the clock moved to 100 seconds till midnight. 100 seconds till the destruction of mankind. Now what is surprising to me is... This international group of researchers, most of whom are probably not Christians, probably not Bible believers, have come up to the same conclusion that the Bible comes up with, and that is the end of man is soon, and the coming of the Lord is near. In James chapter 5, it says this, Be patient as you wait for the Lord, for the Lord's return, for the coming of the Lord is near." And in the passage we're going to focus on this morning, Romans chapter 13, it says this, you know how late it is. Time is running out. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 13, verse 8. We've been walking through the book of Romans since September of last year. And for the last several weeks, we've been in the very last section of the book of Romans, the section that begins in Romans chapter 12. We have called this section Transformers because it begins with these words. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the Bible teaches that God wants to transform us by the power of his Spirit working in us So that then he can use us to transform the world. And the passage we're looking at this morning, I believe, tells us better than any other passage how we can be transformative. How we can live in such a way that God will use us to transform the world that is around us. So if you have your Bibles open, I want you to follow along as we read beginning in verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. He says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and, and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Now, Paul begins this section by commanding us to love. Paul says it this way. He says, owe nothing to anyone except for the continuing debt to love. Now, I want you to understand that nothing can ruin your testimony like an unpaid debt, like an unpaid bill. As Christians, we are obligated, we are commanded by God to pay our debts. We are commanded by God to pay our bills, to pay what we owe. But understand, this passage is not about debt. This passage is all about love. And what Paul is saying here is that the debt to love is never paid off. We can never stop loving. Now, can you imagine going to the bank? You've been paying on your car for three years. You've been paying off your mortgage for 30 years. And now you've come to what you believe is the very last payment And instead of mailing it in, you decide you're going to celebrate and you're going to take the money to the bank. And so you go to the bank and you go to the teller there at the counter. You put your check there on the counter smiling and say, this is my last payment. My debt is paid. And the teller looks at you and says, oh, wait a second. You didn't read the contract. The contract says your debt is never paid. You're gonna have to make this payment until the day you die. How would that make you feel? I don't know about you, but it would tick me off. And yet, the Bible says here that the debt to love is a debt that we will never pay off. Paul is saying that you and I can never stop loving. You can never look at someone and say, I don't love you anymore. You just can't do that as a Christian. Now, that phrase, love one another, is one of the most used phrases in the entire New Testament. Paul said, or Jesus said this in John 13. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And then he went on to say, and this will prove that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Two chapters later, Jesus said again, this is my commandment that you love one another. Understand, you and I are commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ to love. The apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians that God himself has taught us to love one another. In other words, when God comes to live and rule and reign in us as followers of Jesus, his spirit teaches us that we are to love. And John wrote often about love. In 1 John chapter 3, he said, if we love one another, God dwells in us. In other words, John is saying one of the evidences that you have been born again, that you are a child of God, is the love that you have for one another. And then he said, you are commanded by God to love One another. I want you to say that with me. Love one another. No, no, say it out loud. Love one another. You can do better than that. Say it one more time. Love one another. The love that we have for each other will be life changing for us and it will be life changing to the world around us. And then Paul goes on and he says this He said that when we love, we fulfill the requirements of the law. He says that in verse 8, and then he repeats it in verse 10. Now think about that. Paul is saying that love satisfies all God's righteous requirements. In other words, love is the only law that we need to obey. When we love someone, we are obeying all of the laws that God has given us. Someone said it this way. They said there is no duty that is not included in the command to love. And there is no person that is not included in the one another. You see, when we listen to that command to love one another, we are fulfilling everything that God tells us to do. And when we obey that command to love one another, whoever the one another is, we are obeying the command of God and we are fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. Paul says, don't commit adultery. Don't kill, don't steal. Don't lie, don't covet. And then he said, every single one of those is summed up in the command, don't or love one another. Say that with me, love one another. And you know why? You know why when we love one another, we have fulfilled all the requirements of the law? Paul tells us. He tells us because love does no wrong to others. When we love someone, we're not going to do anything to intentionally hurt them. Understand, the solution to all the problems that we face in the world is this one thing. Love. Have you ever thought what would happen if somehow, some way, we could just teach everybody to love? And then once we taught everybody to love, then everybody would love. Understand, if that happened, there would be no more wars. There would be no divorces. There would be no adultery. There would be no marital abuse. Crime would disappear Racism would be gone from the planet of the earth. Hunger would be eradicated. All because we love. Noted psychiatrist Dr. Carl Mininger said this. He said, Love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. And then he went on to say, Love cures. It cures those who give it and it cures those who receive it. One of the earliest. Christian writers was Jerome. And Jerome wrote that when the Apostle John became too feeble to take himself to church, he would be carried to church. And when he became too weak to preach, he would sit up and he would say these simple words, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. It is said by Jerome that when he was asked, why do you say that? He said, because Jesus commands us. And if we do this one thing, it will change everything. I wonder what would happen to our world if we radically followed this command every day. Every person we met, we would say to ourselves, I need to show love to them. I am indebted to show love to them. I must show love to them. The person that we meet in traffic that cuts us off. The person that is standing beside us in the line at Target. The person that does us wrong. What if every person we rub shoulders with, we said today, I'm obligated, I'm commanded, I am indebted to my Lord Jesus Christ and to them to love them. That's what the Bible says here. The Bible says that you and I, have a debt that will never be able to be paid, and that debt is to love one another. And understand, love isn't a feeling. Uh, Our feelings may be a component of our love, but love isn't a feeling. Love is an action. Love is something that we do. The apostle John said this. He said, dear children, let us not love with words or with our tongue, but let us love with actions and in truth. When, when Paul was describing what love looked like in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what he said. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Now, let me say that again. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's love. But here's the thing. Without Jesus, our love will always be a faded version of the real thing. You see, people in the world can have a component of love. They can give some love, but without Jesus living in us and living through us, any love that we give is just going to be a faded version of God's love. That's why Paul tells us that the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. When God's spirit comes to live in us and begin to rule in us and reign in us, he flows through us. And one of the things that, that flows through us is his love. Understand, we will never be able to love the way that we're told to love apart from God's spirit living in us. But let's move on. Notice how verse 11 begins. He says, this is all the more urgent. Now what Paul is, is tying this to is what he has just said. He's saying it's all the more urgent that we love because of how late it is. It's all the more urgent that we love because time is running out. And then he said this. He said our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The day of salvation will soon be here. Now, what Paul is talking about here is the coming of the Lord. When Jesus comes back and he makes everything right, when he writes everything that is wrong. You see, the Bible teaches salvation has three components, three parts. There's the, the past part of salvation for those of us who are saved. We have been saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. When I repented of my sins and placed my faith in Jesus and surrendered to Jesus as my Lord, the penalty of my sin was paid for by Jesus. My guilt was taken away. I was forgiven. That is something that has happened in my past. I have been saved. But then there is a present aspect of salvation. I am being saved. The Bible calls this sanctification. It's it's God working in us to make us more like Jesus. You see, as I walk the Christian life and I become more committed to Jesus and his spirit takes more control of my life, I am being saved. I am becoming more like Jesus. I'm becoming more like what he created me to be from the very beginning. And then there's that future aspect of salvation. I will be saved. That's glorification. And that will happen when Jesus comes back. And he makes everything new. Satan will be defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. We will be given new bodies where we will not struggle with the temptation to sin. This world will be made new so that the temptation of sin will be gone. And I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to that day that's what Paul was talking about here now when Paul wrote this it was 2,000 years ago and Paul said our salvation is nearer today than it's ever been our salvation will be here soon now some of you are probably sitting there saying well Paul was wrong wasn't he I mean he told those people Jesus is coming soon and it's been 2,000 years well can I say to you it's closer today than it's been before amen I mean, we don't know when he's coming back. You know, some people tell us that Jesus is coming back this year, Jesus is coming back the next year. People give us all kind of um, prophecies and predictions of when Jesus will come back. And I'm here to tell you that none of us know when Jesus is going to come back. We We can't figure that out. We can't look at the Bible and look at the signs and say, Oh, Jesus is coming during my lifetime or your lifetime. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. Jesus could come back in 10 years. He could come back in 100 years. I want you to hear me. I want you to listen. It could be a 1,000 years from now. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I'm here to tell you this. It's sooner than it's ever been before. It's closer than it's ever been before. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared because he's coming back. Now, how do we know what the world's going to look like before Jesus comes back. In in 2 Timothy, Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, and I want you to listen to what he says in chapter 3. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, the days before Jesus returns, there will be difficult times. It's going to be difficult for the church, for people will love only themselves and their money. Wow. Wow. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and forgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless and puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will be religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Did you get that? Now, I gotta be honest with you. When I read that passage, I see America. When I read that passage, I see the church in America today. Because we've got a form of godliness, we've got religion, but I gotta tell you, there's not much power in the church today. And it seems like we are cowering more and more today rather than standing up and making a difference for our Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in the last days. And what does that mean? It could mean that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Jesus is coming back 100 years from now. I believe he's coming back in my lifetime, but, but I don't know. I believe that there are many of you here this morning that will be alive when Jesus comes back. But I can't say that for certain. I can't say that for sure. But I know this, we better get ready. We better get prepared because he's coming back. And so what does Paul tell us to do here? He tells us to do three things on top of loving one another. He says, first of all, to wake up. And then he says, The night is almost gone. Now, whenever you see that phrase night in the New Testament, it's referring to the present evil age in which we live. And Paul is saying, This present evil age is about gone. So you better wake up. The question I would throw out to you this morning is this Are we going to wake up before it's too late? Because I'm afraid that Satan has lured many of us to sleep. And we have become complacent and we've become spiritually lazy and undisciplined in our spiritual life. And we are living for comfort rather than our commitment to Jesus. And this shows in so many different ways. It shows in the way that we spend our money. It shows in the way we spend our leisure time. And it shows in how we jump from church to church to church Because we say, that church isn't meeting my needs anymore. We're living for comfort. Paul tells us we need to wake up. We need to wake up to the horrors of sin. We need to wake up to the seriousness of our salvation. We need to wake up to the reality that Jesus is coming soon. But, But then he says this. He says we need to clean up. He says, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. We're given that illustration throughout the New Testament. We're told to take off certain things and put on other things. And then Paul gives us a list of certain things we're to remove from our life. We're to remove these dirty deeds. And understand this isn't an exhaustive list. We're given another list in 1 Corinthians 6. We're given a list in Colossians 3 throughout the New Testament. In many places we're given a list of these things that we need to take off. But in this passage, Paul tells us to take off. Don't participate in in these things. Wild parties, drunkenness, sexual immorality and immoral living, quarreling, jealousy. Now, here's what I've come to believe. There are many people who sit in the chairs of our churches each and every Sunday who call themselves Christians who are still involved in those things. We have this idea that that we can live however we want to as long as we have intellectually believed the claims about Jesus. And that's just not true. The Bible tells us that if we are a follower of Jesus, there are things that we're going to take off. There are things that we're going to remove. There are things that we are not going to do anymore. For those of us who are students of church history, this, this particular passage was made famous because God used it to bring St. Augustine to conversion. Now, if you know anything about St. Augustine, he lived in the 4th century, and, and as a young man, he was a wicked guy. I just want you to think about the biggest partier you can think of. I want you to think about the, the, the most immoral person that you can think of, and that would have been Augustine. He was a wicked, immoral Man, and he was a miserable man. You see, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but it's for a season, and that's what we need to understand. You see, there are many people out there in the world who do not know Jesus, who have never been born again, who are living in sin, and yet they're not happy, they're miserable, their sin brings them depression. Their sin is destroying their lives and their families, and they know it, but they feel helpless, and they feel hopeless to have victory. And that's how St. Augustine felt. One day he was walking in a garden with his friend, and he began to bemoan, bemoan his inability to change. This is what he said. He said, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. How can I free myself from these terrible urges within me that drive me to the things that hurt me? And as he walked in despair with his friend in that garden, he heard these words. It seemed like the voice of a child, take and read, take and read. And he assumed that there were some kids playing in a garden next to him. And he was wondering, what kind of game are they playing, take and read, take and read? I've never heard that before. He went home, and when he went home, he found Paul's letter to the Romans on his table. And he began to flip through it. And as he flipped through it, he stopped at Romans 13, and he read these words. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Augustine says it was at that moment that he opened his life to Christ. He said, I knew about him, but I had never surrendered to him. And he said, at that moment, I surrendered my life to him. And what I had no power to do in the past, I now had power to do. And not only did I have the power to experience victory over these sinful habits, I had joy and peace because my guilt was gone and I was forgiven. And, and I believe with all my heart, there are many people who come to church every Sunday, many people who are listening online, who are just like St. Augustine was. We've prayed a prayer. We've been dunked in a baptismal pool. We've joined a church. We, we come, we do these things, but But we've never surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wonder why we're living lives of defeat. We wonder why we still have those nagging feelings of guilt and shame and remorse. And it's because we haven't surrendered our lives to Jesus. Please listen. Salvation involves repenting, turning from sin, trusting Jesus to save us, and surrendering our lives to him as Lord. And we will never be born again until we take that step of surrender. So what about it? Have you taken off? Then he says one thing, other thing that we're supposed to do, and that is we're to dress up. Says we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in the armor of light. And what he says here when he says put on the Lord Jesus Christ is, he is, is he's saying literally like it's put his skin on top of you. When you're walking through life, walk in such a way that people feel like they are seeing Jesus walk and they feel like they're hearing Jesus talk. That's what we're to do as followers of Jesus. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're to put on the armor of light. Paul talks about that armor in Ephesians 6. He's reminding us that this is a battle. As long as we live in this world, we're in a battle, we're in a war, and we need to put on armor if we're going to have victory. So Paul tells us as Christians, those who have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are to go out into this world and we're to love. We need to wake up. We need to take off certain things. And we need to put on some other things. But I think he says to those who are not Christians. Those who have not yet surrendered their life to Jesus. What are you waiting for? I want you to listen. Jesus is coming. He's coming. And when he's coming. Listen. He's coming as the righteous judge to judge the sin of the world. We have this idea that he's just going to wrap his arms around everyone and everything's going to be okay. And it doesn't matter what our lifestyle has been and what our beliefs has been. Everything's going to be okay. It's not how it's going to be. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the lion. He's coming back as the judge of all the world. And for those who have not received him as Savior, we will experience his judgment. And so let me ask you, Have you surrendered to Him? Not have you walked down an aisle in the past? Not have you prayed some mushy prayer? Not have you been baptized? Not do you believe certain facts? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Or are you living as if you're still on the throne? Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes with your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, what's holding you back? I want to challenge you today to swallow your pride, cast off sin, turn from it, trust Jesus to save you, and give him your life, and discover what you were created for. If you're ready to do that, I want to invite you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I've lived life my way. I'm so sorry. I'm tired of living that way. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead to pay for my sins. And I'm trusting you to save me today. I'm surrendering my life to your control. Come into my heart. Take residence. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.